0: This is the Epilogue Audio Experience. Hey guys, welcome to Sculpted a design podcast where some of the leading designers around the world come together to unveil design layer by layer. I'm your host Sedan, and I'm here to do some deep digging into design thinking with some super cool speakers. For today's episode, we will be focusing on more on the user design specific industry, which is ever growing in today's time. This is an industry which is a combination of design and human psychology. Because of this design domain goes right for you then you can provide some really amazing user experiences yes you must have guessed it so far our topic for today is ux designing and to join me in this conversation we have a ux design expert ayona taliano popular on instagram as ux goodies where she has more than 200k followers. She shares insightful and practical content on UX strategy, tutorials, resources, and career tips. And yes, she also has her own podcast by the name Honest UX Talks and owns a design academy where she teaches what it takes to be a UX designer. Welcome to Sculpted Iona. Really excited for this conversation, especially because this will be a learning experience for me too, because since I'm not from this UX industry, so welcome to Sculpted Iona.
1: Hello. Thank you for the invitation, Sidant. It's really nice to be here. And I think that we will unpack a lot of value on today's conversation.
0: My first question is to you, Ayona, <laughs> is that how has been your journey and how did you land up in UX industry? Were you a child who thought always that you wanted to be graphic designer, especially UX? or How, how has been your journey? If you can just tell us about it.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, to be completely fair, I didn't have the dream of becoming a UX designer because I didn't know that UX design exists for most of my life. I was indeed a child that was pretty attracted to um, building stuff, unpacking stuff, creating. And so there Mm -hmm. was this, let's say, curious side that UX designers need uh, to have in order to be effective as designers, but it wasn't necessarily very well uh, sculpted, if you want, or channeled. (laughs) um, in a particular direction. So it wasn't really clear to me what I wanted to do with my life for most of my life, like around up to almost 30 years, I think. So even at 25, I didn't, I, it wasn't clear that I was going to be pursuing a design career. Um, I studied communications and PR and also had, uh, have, have a bachelor in, um, in management. So I did a couple of things that were seemingly unrelated to design but somehow there was a common foundation uh, for some parts and i got hired quite early in um in a big company in a huge bank ing bank i don't know if our listeners uh, know it Um, Mm -hmm. I started as a customer care representative. I was basically answering the phone and call center and talking to people and listening to their problems and trying to understand their problems and show empathy and try to help them solve those problems. So this was like my first experience in a job and it definitely shaped my direction later on in my career. And then after Mm -hmm. the, the, after working in the call center, I spent a couple of years, uh, just, without a clear direction <laughs> trying out different things throughout my uh, throughout the same company ING Bank And then eventually, at some point, the UX design role was officially defined Um, in the company. There was a small design team that was established. And that's when I began to be exposed to what design entails. And I have to admit that I was quite lucky to be able to sit in the same office with the designers. I got to lurk on the conversations, the meetings, the workshops. And so I immediately became drawn To the world of ux and i wanted to learn more about it because it it felt like something that i was unconsciously looking for and so uh yeah Mm -hmm. this is pretty much how i how i ended up wanting to become a ux designer
0: (laughs) i can totally resonate with it because i have a background in mba communications and i mean i can totally relate to that because i also had this inclination towards graphic designing So I've seen many people, you know, having different degrees, but then getting into design. So that's amazing. So if I may ask you, what's that one thing, you know, uh, that made you curious and get into this UX designing? Like when you said, you know, you started liking this field.
1: I think that it was the fact that you were doing something good and tangible for for your users. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's something that I felt... I was lacking in my career up to that point. So even when I was trying to solve problems in the call center, it was never myself who got to actually solve them. I was only the messenger for most parts. So I I reached out to other departments and they were handling the complaints and they were doing the uh, improvements or fixes. So it was never from my own hands. I was just communicating problems and then communicating solutions. I was never at the core of that process. Uh, and even later on, working as a content designer and a, a, a content manager and being in the digital team before becoming a UX designer, my contribution to the user's well-being was not pretty clear. And I wasn't uh, aware of how my work impacted anyone if it impacted wow. somebody at all so um the the thing that was most attractive towards the ux design role was that finally i could do something meaningful <laughs> for people and something that i was in control of and i could drive and i could uh, encourage and advocate for the well-being of the user and that was very very enticing very seductive and so that's how i decided that i i want to actually start doing good things for the people that use our company's oh, products.
0: That's that's amazing. You know, uh, I just uh, I put this story yesterday on my page asking oh, what do you want to know about UX designing and uh, like about 50% asked me two questions, one of which was which is really silly question must be really silly for you but um, many people did ask me in the stories is that what's the difference between ui and ux because many many people you know use it very loosely so can you just tell us what's the difference between ui and ux you know very, definitely yeah
1: definitely and i i want to just reassure everyone that there is no silly question. so there are no stupid questions it's just we need to ask everything that's not clear for us this is the, one of the Core values or rules in UX design always ask if you do not know something. And it's absolutely normal that people do not know the difference between UX and UI because it's so confusing the amount of information and it's, it's information that's in contradiction most of the times. Right. So it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's absolutely normal that people feel confused and can't, can't discern between the two concepts. And, um, I've also been very confused in the beginning when I when I decided that I want a UX career and then I immediately stumbled upon the concept of UI design. I was Mm -hmm. faced with understanding what am I supposed to learn now? Should I learn UI design or should I? What are not they the same thing? Are they different? So I I faced the same confusion because it's what it's what the conversation out there causes because sometimes the conversations in the design industry are healthy and they help people clarify concepts, but other times they're just confusing people even more. And the case of UI UX is one of those examples when things uh, have gone bad in my perspective. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) And to answer your call, I think that we've seen a lot of posts out there well, that treat UX in opposition to UI, like UX versus UI. And mm-hmm. in my view, it's not a versus relationship. Definitely, there are some differences, but these two disciplines, they come together. So they're parts of the same process. They're facets of the same process. The, prop- the process of building products that people like, enjoy using, or they love, or that they like, that I good product so to build products you have to go through some stages that fall under the umbrella of ux design ui design is one of those stages so what i'm trying to say is that in my view and by talking to senior designers out there my understanding so far is that ui design and and the definition that i stand by is that ui design is just a part of the ux design process so the user experience Mm -hmm. encompasses all the interaction all the interactions, all the experience, if you want, of, of, of a users with that product and UI design is the way that the interaction is visualized. It's, it's represented, if you want. So it's a part oh, yeah. of the, it's part of the UX and it has to do definitely with the way we see the solution with the way the interaction is displayed with layout, typography, colors, contrast, mm-hmm. um, images, uh, iconography, and so on. So UI design handles the visual aspect of that interaction, but it has to exist in relationship to UX design and in as part of the UX design process. And I hope that clarifies uh, people's question and I don't bring more confusion to the table. <laughs>
0: no no it's 100 percent clear for me at least right now and you know the second question was which is very much related to this is that many of my audience are graphic designers right and they were asking me this question like how do they shift to ux designing and uh, now now i'm in this confusion that uh, is it more uh, relevant for graphic designers to get into ui designing because since you said it includes you know typography the visual aspects so is it more relevant to get into UI or UX? I mean, what's what's your thought on this?
1: It's a very good question, and I just recently had an event with our bootcamp where we invited a graphic designer who's also doing UX to talk about this transition. So my insights are quite uh, uh, just out of the oven, uh, and <laughs> it's something that I've been thinking for a long time. Because even in our bootcamp, when people apply, they come. Many people come from graphic design background because somehow it feels like they're closely related. That it might not be that big of a leap of a career change. It's just like a uh, switching a bit directions, if you want, from doing graphic design work to doing to solving problems, maybe. Uh, So if I were a graphic designer, it, what I would advise people who are in graphic design and aspire to a UX design career is that they need to figure out by sitting with themselves and practicing introspection and asking themselves what might make me happy and what I enjoy doing and what do I want to do in the future and just doing an introspection exercise and figure out whether they would be passionate about the problem solving part. So spending time in the problem space, understanding why we're solving a uh, certain problem? What's going on with that problem? Uh, What do they use? What what can we uncover from the users in relation to that problem? So if we enjoy solving problems and being in the problem space, then graphic designers can definitely also explore a UX design career and be able to leverage the visual skills they have for the, the later part of the process. But still, learn research, learn how to run a discovery process for a problem. So it may be right. that you, as a graphic designer, will be faced with these two choices. Becoming a UX designer, uh, full stack if you want, from <laughs> um, doing research and everything and solving a problem and then giving that problem a, a, a visual solution or you may choose that you're not passionate about talking to users, you're not passionate about the research part or the the problem scoping part, and you just want to do the visual layer and then UI design right. is the right solution for you. So, but okay. still you'll have to learn interaction design as well. Cause UI designers don't just come and put this coat of uh, pretty screens on a project, <laughs> but they also have to understand how to build interactions that are effective and um, usable and easy to understand and so on. So this is the choice that one has, one, a graphic designer has to make. Do I want to be spending time on solving problems? and understanding unpacking problems then i could pursue a ux career in the in case in in the case that this this isn't something that sounds interesting to me then i can go for a ui design career and spend more time just on building interactions
0: got it got it it's much more clear now so can i see that um if you're getting into UX uh, designing, you have to develop your analytical side also because, as designers, we are more heavy on the uh, creativity side, right?
1: Definitely, yeah, uh, yeah. On one hand, I think that um, from my perspective, and by contemplating UX design for the past mm-hmm. seven years and trying to understand what it's all about uh, by practicing it, uh, I think I feel that it's it doesn't have a lot to do with creativity. Just like you said, there's a lot of critical thinking involved in right. analytical skills. There's a process. I think I would say it's closer to science than to artistical side of, of, of creating things. So it's not very creative, but it's more like scientific in the sense that it follows a process and it follows methods, methodologies, techniques, mm-hmm. um, you're building deliverables, artifacts. So it's, you're operating with insights and findings. So it's not that much creative, it's more like, uh, like you said, analytical. And yes, those are the skills that you need to, to build if you want to transition to UX design.
0: Okay, and when you say science, does that also include uh, human psychology as such in this domain?
1: It's a very nice question. Yes, I think that human psychology is an important uh, aspect of building um, interactions that make sense for people because you will deal a lot with. um, So first of all, you'll be talking a lot to users. So that's when you having some uh, psychological understanding of people is something that will definitely enable you to have better conversations and unpack the insights from those conversations. Also, I think that when we're building interactions, when we're defining solutions, there are some psychological principles like scarcity, like uh, <laughs> uh, the sense of urgency that we can create. Right. When, like There are many, um, let's say, psychological rules that we need to know and apply and take into account when we're building solutions. And there's also an aspect of understanding biases, which also have to do with the psychology realm. Um, most of the design process is filled with potential biases, both from the user side, but from us as designers and as researchers as well. So definitely human psychology is something that you need to master at least on a basic level. The better you yeah. are at it, the better designer you will be.
0: Okay. So when you say biases, as in, if you can just elaborate on that point.
1: Yeah, um, biases can appear at any, mostly any stage of the design process, mm-hmm. but I think they're more prominent in the um, earlier stages. And I think I would break them into two categories. One of them is, um, our own biases. For example, the most common one I think is the confirmation bias. So we oh, tend to, we tend to, uh, how it works in the case of a design pr- Designer or a design problem is that we we devise a particular solution, we find the solution, and then we're attached to it. We're not very really aware that we got attached to it, and then we look for confirmations from the users, from the people on the team, for everyone. We look for signs that approve our solution, that validate it, and we tend to ignore the things that uh, are in contradiction with that particular solution. So. Confirmation bias is a very good example of how our minds can interfere with the design process and um,
0: and I, prevent I mean. us
1: from being uh, good critical thinkers. Yeah.
0: That's true. I can totally resonate because I have been one of the victims of that bias.
1: (laughs) All of us have been. All designers, I think. And even not in necessarily UX designers, but even Mm -hmm. graphic designers, even architects. So everybody who's building, who's creating something, wants that solution to be liked, to be validated, to be appreciated. It's absolutely normal. But we have to be aware that we are seeking for approval. In, in the feedback of people around us, and we're many times maybe ignoring things that might uh, dismiss our solution. So the confirmation bias is a very good example. Other examples uh, can be on the side of the users. For example, there's this um, social need of the users that they uh, that they don't upset the the people they have an interview with. So uh-huh. they may they may falsify or or, um, uh, sugar quotes, quote, some answers. Uh, right. To not hurt the feelings of the interviewer, or it may be that they don't want to seem like they don't know something, and so they try to seem like they understand the product and they know how to use it. And so it's it's a bit stressful for them to admit that they don't know how to use that product when, in fact, that's exactly what the interviewer wants to uncover. So there's a lot of uh, there are a lot of psychological mis- uh, <laughs> mismatches that might happen, yeah. and y- we need to be aware of them and spot them when they happen and and try to get them out of the way of critical thinking and the design process
0: right i was going through your feed and i got this um, one of your posts which said was uh, which was about the best youtube videos for ux designers and one of the video which i loved was i can't recall the speaker's name but the topic was uh, humans not users something on those lines and um, so so i wanted to ask you this question is that how can you think as close as to users as possible because sometimes as designers or even as marketers we think that the user or customer are aliens and you know uh, <laughs> we don't really put our, our feet in their shoes and think on that line so how how can you bring a more user-centric approach if not users then i would say how to bring human-centric approach
1: I love the the vocabulary question right here, so I think that indeed we are so accustomed to calling them, them calling them users that it's really hard to transition to calling them humans, which is way more powerful and it actually shifts the perspective on the solution you're building from the user sounds something that's very let's say uh cold and it's just uh, like right. a uh, s- someone who's just using the product and you, you tend to forget by using this terminology that it's actually a human being behind and that human being has an entire ecosystem of feelings, thoughts, experiences around him. Um, and so human uh, experience design would be much <laughs> better, but because of the name itself, user experience design, we are very accustomed to call and de- calling them users. And, uh, this might hurt for some parts because <sighs> again, we're focusing on them as just as people who use and the, the, the using of our product and right. just that. When in fact, there's much more to the people who are using the product and it's worth looking at it. So I love, I would love if uh, in the future we would be hx designers (laughs) human experience designers um and probably this is a conversation that we will hear more of because it's valuable but uh to answer your question how to be more Mm human-centric i would say that the number one uh, step or rule that you have to obey is to talk to the people that you are designing for i think that this is overlooked i think people minimize the the impact or the the value that speaking to the people who will use your product who might use your product it's it's so valuable it's extremely powerful you see their struggles you understand their feelings you understand uh, how you can impact their lives, it's its extremely powerful. And it's something that I see in companies and in projects again and again, uh, designers, they are closer to the people they design for because they understand this. But when we bring people from different other roles, like developers, mm-hmm. or the product managers, or some VP of uh, I don't know what business line, or even the CEO, when we you bring them in the process, and you get them to see the user, using their product or talking about their product or talking about their life for them. It's like, it's sometimes it's mind life changing. I don't know how to call it. Mind changing. (laughs) It's, it's really powerful. It has an impact because they're so disconnected from the, from the human that is in relation with is is in a relationship with their product that for them, it's like mind blowing to see them and it's very exciting and they understand a lot of things. And they definitely, like we like to say, they build empathy for the human. Uh, and Mm -hmm. I would, so I would say the number one thing is to be there, be close to your users, talk to them as much as possible, go out and observe them. If the case, if if your product allows it, or is it that type of product, go out and observe them in real life, using your product, um, interview them as much as possible in context. So just Be close to them. I think this is the number one thing that helps you stay human-centered in your process.
0: Right, I mean, uh, we usually tend to forget is that sometimes even we will be the users, right? But it's very hard as a designer, you know, to step back and think that even I'm the user and how can, you know, I will be using this product so yeah it's tough
1: yeah it's not easy i mean this is if if it were easy then all the products we would use would be amazing and would make us so happy but most of the products we use have issues have things that frustrate us that annoy us that we don't like that or they lack functionality when we need something and we can't find it in our product so it's really difficult because if it were easy like all the products would be wonderful (laughs)
0: That's true. So on on that note, tell me about your most and least successful UI design projects, UX designing projects.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting, challenging question that uh, begs for uh, introspection, invites me to an introspection, uh, (laughs) deep introspection. It's hard to name um, two projects in each category because Mm -hmm. all of the projects I was part of so far have had successful parts. And they have had lessons to not call them failures. They had lessons, <laughs> or which are things that I feel could have done. I could have done better. Uh, but if I am to recall uh, two examples, um, one of the most successful has to be a recent um, complete redesign of a core product at my current company, and mm-hmm. I think it's, I see it as the most successful because it was a project that was pulled off under a combination of very difficult circumstances. Uh, The COVID crisis had just started. We were all suddenly working from home, sort of disconnected. We were connecting only online. I just learned that I was pregnant with my first child. Uh, The deadlines of this project were very short. I was the only designer on the team when we started. So there were a lot of things and challenges to manage in this project. And, um, they were both on the design process side, but also on, um, on a personal level. And it was one of the hardest part was actually communicating to others and socializing progress and socializing the questions, the problem we're solving. So it was, it was really hard because of the disconnection and suddenly not being in an office together when we could rapidly clarify and, and, uh, move past any, any obstacle that came. So, um, yeah, eventually on this project. Um, so I, I somehow, I think we all relate to the fact that during the COVID isolation, we ended up working more. So I think that I was working <laughs> more than I was working in the office. And so I was able to unpack this problem better than I expected. And we also added some design capacity. Eventually, we brought in a UX researcher. And we also brought another UX designer to help me with the the components and the the UI side if you want at that point. And we managed to actually launch a complete redesign of, uh, of one of our core products. And clients were unexpectedly happy. And, um, there were a lot of improvements that we were able to, uh, bring uh, that were, uh, informed by all the research that we have been doing for, for a longer time, not just on that project, but research that had has stacked up, up to the point that we actually started the redesign. So mm-hmm. it it was, it was a project that I feel it was most successful because I had to manage many things in parallel and it ended up in positively it had a positive outcome so uh yeah and at that point i remember i was joking with my team that i have two babies uh my daughter (laughs) and a redesign of our product so it was it it really felt like it was my baby because i was alone in it on the design side and it was it was very much to handle but it ended up pretty pretty good and yeah and and on the on the least successful side, Mm -hmm. I think that the least successful project still has to be uh, my first big project. (laughs) It was the the redesign of a product um, in a very big company. And I, looking back in retrospect, I was totally unprepared for such a big project. Um, It's still, uh, to this day, my biggest moment of learning. It was a time of accelerated growth. Uh, but the growth was, uh, facilitated by mistakes, if you want. So I was making mistakes and learning, uh, like on a daily, yeah. not, uh, on a weekly, if not daily basis. Uh, at that point, I remember that I wasn't very good at communicating with, um, other people involved in the project. I wasn't very good at communicating with developers, okay. with my product managers. I uh, remember that, uh, I left out many scenarios and use cases. Uh, so I couldn't think very systemically, if you want, holistically at the product. I was just mm-hmm. looking at right. small parts of it because I think that it's what junior designers tend to do in their early days, Uh just right. focus on parts that they can control and understand. So I was often missing the bigger picture of the experience and the, the system that that product was. Um, I was also lacking important notions. Like I, I didn't know uh many things about accessibility. It was something that I very superficially understood at that point. So there were a lot of mistakes to that project. But So if I would do it today, it would probably be completely different and a completely different project. But I don't blame myself. I think that it was my first project of this sort, of this size and amplitude. Right. And I yeah. just recently transitioned. So it was natural that I couldn't be completely uh, spectacular in that role, but still, uh, there are many times when I remember it and and have like small revelations, like ah, oh, I should have done it like this back then. <laughs> uh, and and still, it's it's um, it, it didn't feel completely unsuccessful. It wasn't a mm-hmm. fail. Like the product was launched, and it wasn't bad. It was good, but it could have been much better. So yeah. <laughs>
0: that's that's so insightful that i got these two amazing points i feel as a as a fresher i i would totally resonate with is that first don't try to see things in isolation because i feel uh, a design is more integrated uh, system you can't look at any aspect in us in an isolation and second is that it's okay you can ruin your first big project (laughs) still you can go on so it's okay
1: (laughs) definitely yeah (laughs) i mean i mean junior designers really need to to not blame themselves too much and to be confident enough that even if you screw up (laughs) or if you (laughs) if you make mistakes especially in the early years that's That's learning and that's fine and you will not be kicked out of the design profession and you will be able to grow and become a better designer.
0: Right. So on that note, what are the three key skills to be a UX designer? I feel one of that should be communications because you mentioned it in your, uh, you know, while sharing your experience that you were lacking in communication and after once once you are good at it, it really helps you, right?
1: So what
0: are those three key skills?
1: Yeah, definitely. I would have started with communication myself. I think that I remember I was in one of, uh, Jared's pools. Uh, Jared is like, uh, one of the gods of UX design. If you want, like the one of the father of UX design, I I look up to him very much. And so I was in one of his workshops when uh, he came to our town in a design conference and I remember he said something that really made an impact on me and I still stand by that line up to this point today. He said that the conversation is the design and I remember how powerful (laughs) that felt and I do believe that communicating and talking to users, to your colleagues, to developers, to product managers, to the business people to understand the business goals as well. Uh, I think that communicating and having these conversations is actually what a designer is supposed to do essentially on any project. So yes, communication is essential. It's, it's, if not the design, it's like a core part of the design. And if you think about it, even the deliverables that we create, the Mm -hmm. artifacts we create, all of them are ways of communicating design.
0: True. If we create
1: a... Persona, we created to, for other people in the company to see the, the, the archetypal user we're designing for. If we're creating wireframes, we create them to communicate our proposal of the solution to other people and to ourselves, obviously. But what I'm trying to say is that everything that we create as designers, we create for the sake of communicating that. In the first part of the design process, communicating insights, communicating findings, communicating uh, the problem and what 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 our goals are from that project. And then in the in the latter part of the uh, of the design process, we are communicating solutions. So communication and also communication has a lot of micro components to it. So communication also means being able to present your work effectively, being able to articulate the rationale behind your design decision, being able nice. to bring everybody at the same table and create a, as much as possible common understanding and alignment. It's all, It also means being able to give feedback or to handle feedback uh, in a conversation. So I think it has a lot of micro aspects that designers need to unpack and and start to to be in control of. But definitely communication is essential. And another um, to give you two more, I would choose uh, critical thinking. Which means mm-hmm. that we are trying, we as designers need to try to remain as neutral as possible throughout the design nice. process. So as we were talking earlier about biases or about like bringing your feelings in the process, yes. then you might alter or uh, skew the, the, the path that that project might take. And that's not something you want to do. You want to remain as neutral as, of course, we can't be completely objective with anything in life, but you, you want to bring that object, objectivism to the, to the process. And you want to, so critical thinking essentially means establishing if something is true or false. So you want to have mm-hmm. that, that uh, capacity of understanding whether the solution is good or not. And, and that means not if you find it good or not, but if it's good oh, or nice. not for the users, um, for the humans that will be using your products. So critical thinking is really important. And it also helps you with, I don't know, understanding systems, grasping complex products, being able to make connections that are relevant. So yeah, critical thinking is really important. And the last skill that I would mention, and now I'm just Mm -hmm. talking about soft skills, I don't want to look yep. into art skills. You can learn that. You can learn how to use a particular tool, or you can learn, I don't know, a particular how to create an artifact. But I think that the skills that will uh, make the difference in how successful you are as a UX designer are the soft skills. And so the last one that I want to add is uh, self-awareness, because I think that it's it's an extremely powerful Uh, quality to have, not just a designer, but as a human in general. But as a Mm -hmm. designer, it will help you a lot with um, uncovering, uh, bringing to consciousness your biases and being in control of your biases. And, um, and also it will help you grow a lot. It will constantly help you understand what are your strong points? What are your weak points? What are the areas that you're not mastering yet, and that you need to improve? And so by being self aware, you, you, you help yourself grow, you help yourself understand how growth looks like in your particular case. And to encourage self-awareness, things that I recommend usually is our, our journaling on one hand. So just keeping track of everything that you experience and you learn and, and your struggles throughout design process through our design projects. So uh, journaling is very important and also documenting Mm -hmm. your work. So if you're very, uh, if you invest some time in documenting everything you do, why you made a particular decision, how a particular conversation or meeting went. So if you keep track, if you write down uh, notes and you reflect on every stage of the design process, you will definitely have a lot of, have a better understanding of yourself and of what you need to do in order to grow.
0: That, that's so true. So I, and I wanted to ask you this question because this is what I feel sometimes uh, with UX design is that uh, while I was using Amazon app, I feel some of the features are, you know, specially made it complicated to uh, discourage users not to take that action. For example, I feel uh, in Amazon, if you are, you know, trying to contact the customer care number, it's very tough, you know, to reach out to a stage where you can actually go and talk to that customer service person. There are so many FAQs, then you go inside that and somewhere you find this option to actually call the customer. So is is there any practice as such where, you know, you actually try to uh, discourage users to take certain actions in UX designing?
1: Definitely. They're called dark patterns. Oh,
0: <laughs> uh, <okay. laughs> yes.
1: These are the infamous. There's a term for that. <laughs> yes. There's a term for it. It's called dark pattern. It's something that many products employ in order to uh, reach their, wh- what I think happens is like they have some internal KPIs, which are not. The health or the benefit of the user, but our like usage, how many users we have, uh, how many uh, like lowering the unsubscription rates, and this is what we need uh, to do. And so we just don't give the user the option to unsubscribe. That's how we lower the option, <laughs> the, the the number of unsub of unsubscription. So I think uh, dark patterns are something that what I'm what I'm actually quite optimistic about is that the. The, the users, the industry, the people are becoming increasingly aware of these dark patterns and they're starting to call them out. So I've seen a lot of posts oh. on LinkedIn, on Instagram, pretty much everywhere of people like calling out products that uh, employ these practices. Like in the example of Amazon, right? You're talking now about something that they're doing that doesn't feel right, that doesn't feel fair. And I've seen it again and again with people who just, I don't know, tweet or uh, make a post on LinkedIn Mm -hmm. with a product that has, um, has this kind of approach to, things like customer support and discouraging you from loading their customer call center or whatever, (laughs) or like with, uh, I think the unsubscribed example is the most famous in that sense. Mm -hmm. So I think that the people are waking up. If you want, they're becoming more aware. They, they demand more respect from these products. And so I think that if you want to remain successful long-term, you have to take into account the voice of the people who are now recognizing these dark patterns and they're frustrated <laughs> by them and they don't wanna put up with them anymore. So I think that the industry will see an awakening or like uh, a general revolution of demanding more respect. Products need <laughs> to be respectable to their users. And yes. uh, using dark patterns is definitely not the way to do that. So um, yeah, I think that we'll see less dark patterns in the future and they can come in many shapes and forms Mm -hmm. they can even i don't know have this uh um sense of urgency or you can even see those on um on booking.com, uh, if you've ever used the platform, they have a lot yes. of screaming messages at you. Like three people are looking at this property at the same time. It uh, was <laughs> last book like five minutes ago, one That's room left, a book to be Many websites,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: so they, they push you into making a decision and there's a fine line be, be between encouraging users to make a particular decision or and, right. in an ethical way and then crossing the line onto the unethical side. But I do believe that the the voice of the people will become very articulate, very powerful. And so they will not stand, they will not accept products that are anything less than ethical in the future.
0: That's a very thin line, I would say, because sometimes if you don't have a resources like Amazon for your customer care number, then you might, might be inclined of doing this kind of UX strategy. But it's tough how <laughs> to come to a point that how ethical or non unethical this is. So yeah, I don't know. You just have to listen to your customers, users. Maybe that's that's the approach you should have.
1: Yeah, definitely. But sometimes I think they, they know. I think they're pretty aware of what they're doing. I mean, it's sometimes I think it's a conscious choice. It's not necessarily that right. you don't realize that you're doing something sneaky. <laughs> I think you're quite <laughs> aware when you're doing it and it's a decision. So I think that people will not accept these kind of design decisions anymore. But yeah, I mean, you have to listen to your users. It gets back to the point where if you want to be human centric, you have to talk to the people you design for.
0: Right. So uh, I know coming to our... Uh the final section, I wanted to ask you a few questions, which, you know, I asked on my Instagram stories to my followers. So uh, how can a graphic designer, you know, shift to UX designing? Like what steps he or she needs to take?
1: So he or she can join my UX (laughs) bootcamp and and definitely they will transition smoothly and very effectively to UX design. No, I'm joking, but I mean, it's no joke. If you want to, if you want to join my UX bootcamp, that's definitely one way to go about it. But another way to go about it is to actually look into the world of UX design and understand that you need to learn new concepts, uh, new processes, put them to work in practice. And basically, I think that one important element to any successful transition is finding a mentor. So to anyone who wants, even not necessarily graphic designer, but what, regardless of the background that you want to transition from, I would say start by finding a mentor. And then that Mm -hmm. person who has experience, who is in the industry already, that person can guide you as to the personalized individual steps that would make most sense to you. In that transition
0: okay okay and uh, the second question was while you are developing a mvp version minimum viable product version of your website or or your app what should you include and what should you not like how should you decide what features do you need to include in that like what's your mechanism
1: it's a very good question it's interesting i think that you have to um you have to connect the MVP to your to the assumptions you begin with. So I think that the MVP is not necessarily a lighter version of your product that you just start building features on. It's right. like the simplest way in which you validate your solution, the, the simplest way in which um, you validate um, that the problem you're trying to solve is being solved. So I would say MVP, it's not just like launching something that has a profile section and a dashboard. It has Mm -hmm. to be something that has the flow that validates the problem you're solving and the way you're trying to solve it. So also, and I think another thing to to mention here is that the industry has started to talk about a minimum lovable product. It's a new concept. Mm-hmm. It's not that new, but it's a concept that I love. And I think that people should focus more on building a minimum lovable product, not a minimum uh-huh. viable product, because a minimum viable product can be something that's too uh, basic, too sterile, too too gives too little value to a user. And you might not mm-hmm. even understand if the reason for which your user will not stay is because the MVP is not the, the solution you've built is not good or because you haven't represented it yet in a way that's compelling with, with the entire product. I'm, I'm not sure if I got my point across, but the idea is that mm-hmm. when you create an MVP that's very basic and just validates one point and then you launch it and then your users don't respond to it, you will not know exactly why they don't respond to it. And it may be that if you launch like a minimum level of product that doesn't just validate the problem and the idea, but also has some nice interactions to it, has a nice onboarding or has something that Mm -hmm. gives the user more context, more value, then you will definitely increase your chances that the person will understand what that product is about and will Mm -hmm. feel like they can build a relationship with that product.
0: Uh, got it. Okay. So the next question was, what what role did Instagram play, like your page play in your career growth or being as a UX designer?
1: A huge role. <laughs> it was a <laughs> role that I didn't even foresee. I didn't expect that Instagram that Instagram will have such a tremendous impact on my career, but not necessarily on my career um, as. more than that on the relationships I've built on the network that I've created. So when I started Instagram, it was just something very personal, a page that Mm -hmm. I remember I was doing for myself just to get myself to research things every day and create a post and have something that like every day I'm learning something new and I'm sharing my learning journey. And I wasn't, I didn't have any goals in mind as to how many followers or how many, how much the growth of this page might be. I couldn't (laughs) even imagine that it's going to end up like having uh, more than 200,000 followers. It's, it's, yes. it's, it's, it's just beyond what I expected. I didn't expect anything to begin with. But I remember one thing that's funny. I remember saying, thinking that, oh my God, if I mm-hmm. ever reach... 4,000 followers, I'm gonna tell the whole world, to all my friends, <laughs> everyone I know, I'm gonna tell them, can you believe I have 4,000 followers? And it was just, it felt insane to have 4,000 followers. And <laughs> you can not imagine how insane it feels today. Yeah, it had yes. an important role in my career definitely because it, it helped me meet people that ended up having an impact on my career. It helped me, for example, just a quick example, meet anfisa who's my podcast Mm -hmm. partner and so we decided to start a podcast together and we're having meaningful conversations and i'm growing a lot by doing this podcast and the people find value in it and so uh this was one aspect then it helped me meet people in different companies in different parts of the world understand and learn from their experiences and so it it really opened the world for me uh being on instagram
0: Yeah, I mean, your podcast is just amazing. I'm sure I'm going to include all all your links in this episode's description. So guys, please do check out our podcast too. So what's your dream project, if I may ask you?
1: It's a very tough question. Um, It's really hard to choose a dream project because I think Mm -hmm. that as designers, we have to be able to... um, to become exciting, excited by any problem. So I wouldn't say to bring your personal biases and preferences to the design process, but you have to be able to unpack and understand and get excited about any problem. Uh, So designers need to be unbiased or uh, Mm -hmm. not discriminate between problems. So it's really hard to choose a particular industry or a particular type of product that I would be most excited about But I think that a dream project would definitely mean that I have a lot of autonomy, because I think that as designers, especially working in big companies, we work with a lot of constraints. We have to make compromises. We have to. So it's really difficult. We are working on small parts of the product sometimes. And so I think that a, a dream project for senior designers is one in which you can actually be autonomous, have power and be able to drive that project and have the freedom to do what's right for the users. And so any dream project would give me that, uh, that freedom. And, um, in terms of like possibly dream industries, I don't know. It's some, I I do prefer to be completely honest, the industries that have something to do with the wellbeing of people. So working in healthcare, Working in the fitness uh, app world or working in, I don't know, meditation apps, uh, therapy, uh, anything that helps people lead healthier lives is something that gets me particularly excited at this moment of my career.
0: Wow, I mean, that's really thoughtful of you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think that it's something that we all need as we yes. as we grow as designers. We want to have an impact. We want to do right. good. So in the in the early days, you focus on learning, but in, in, in as you grow in your in your role, you want to do things that have an impact and that are good for the world. Your priorities <laughs> change if you want. I,
0: that's true. Exactly. So, Aina, uh, what's what's your favorite product? Which whose UX you just love it. What's that one product or website? Well, I'm,
1: I'm a big fan of Headspace. It's something, ah, it's a product yes. that I always uh, find uh, just a pleasure to, mm-hmm. to use. And um, yeah, I think it's top of mind. I like many products, but all of them have some things that I don't like. So for example, I Uh love Spotify, like for 80%, but there are some things that I don't like about it. And so it's hard to to name one product that's like, oh my God, that product is perfect. Uh, It's great. I I also love problems that products solve or the way that they try to do things differently. So for example, I was introduced Mm -hmm. by my uh, VP of design. Um, He showed me an app that's called Minutia. And it's an app that forces you to take a photo once per day randomly Mm -hmm. in like five seconds. So you're not able to stage anything. You're not able to prepare. You're not able to falsify the world that you're showing on social media. It's just something that's very raw and wants to show the real life that people have and I think it's a really powerful problem to solve in the world of social media where everything is, is like um, censored right. and filtered and we so show our best moments and we show our nicest clothes and our best photos <sighs> and in this particular case this app is something that wants to show the truth, wants to show honesty wants to stop this toxic world of comparing to what other people do on holidays and when, where they go on holiday and what clothes they have and everything and so it's really it's it's a product that i think has a wonderful mission and it's well executed and for example this is the kind of product that i would i would talk about
0: (laughs) Uh, but that that's such an amazing product i must say it it, it's need of the hour i would say yeah it's really so my next question was like what what are your thoughts on gamification in ux designing Uh, and have you practiced
1: Actually, I started my career with gamification, <laughs> with learning gamification. Ooh, okay. It was uh, it was something that we were trying to do for that big project that I uh, I mentioned earlier. The one that I found was like not my most successful. Uh, we started by exploring, so I really uh, deep dived into the world of gamification and trying to understand. Uh, how it works, how we can use uh, elements of gamification and build a system of uh, gamificated experience that could make the user stick in your app more. And I think this is something that's a bit controversial about gamification. Mm -hmm. It depends. I think it may be good or bad depending on your goal. So for example, there are many apps like Duolingo uh, that teach you how to learn a new language. And that's a good thing. And that's something that you want people to do. And so if you use gamification for a good purpose, for ethical reason, then it's good. It's a powerful tool to help people like stay on track with with a goal that's healthy for them, that's productive. But there are also things that are gamificating uh, wrong uh, goals, if you want, like usage, like use the social platform more. And so we are giving you badges and we're building leaderboards and we want you to spend more time in this app just so that we can increase our KPIs and have uh, more people uh, hooked. And so that's not a good thing. That's not a nice way to use gamification. So I think that the (laughs) difference, so gamification can be good if you use it for good reasons, for good purposes. Uh, that's where the difference is. I think it's a powerful tool. I think that, uh, it's relation to game mechanics because gamification stems from, from game design. Um, I think that the relationship is, uh, is very strong and we all enjoy a well-built game that I don't know if probably our listeners have played at least one game in their life and uh we know how it feels when when you're when you're growing on that game journey it's nice it's rewarding it's it it, it uh it taps on our brain <laughs> uh, mechanisms yes. so yeah I mean gamification is something that we can definitely use as designers as long as we don't mm-hmm. use it with dark reasons.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Uh, and uh, the next question is uh, when you mention headspace, right? I feel uh, especially in these category, your even UX, uh, UX needs to be uh, very minimal and decluttered because when you are seeing at your uh, headspace, even your mind wants to be, you know, decluttered. So when you have so many things to show, but in the least possible way, what, what's your approach has been, if you have uh, any such situations?
1: Yeah, I think that the best way or the first way that pops in my mind right now is a thing that's called progressive disclosure. So okay. don't don't. I think it's it's also used in development in terms of how an interaction should behave. But I also use it for the for UX design purposes. So progressive disclosure means that you don't load the user with many things at the time. Even if you have Mm -hmm. a lot of information, you show it uh, incrementally. So you show one thing or two things in a screen at a time, and then you, you lead the user into the next step where he can see more things or more options. So you give him control. You give him the a good example is the see more button that you that mm-hmm. you have on websites or on products yes. or anywhere so you you like show him two three things and then you give him you empower him to choose if he wants to see more things or if he wants to navigate to a different part so the point is that you don't disclose all the things at once cuz it will cause overload and decision paralysis and it's really not not a nice oh. experience but right. you show it uh incrementally um step by step one thing two things at a time and keep the screens very light and clear and help the user focus on one particular component or functionality or feature or or piece of content right. at
0: a time okay so my last question I know, is if you have any message to our audience who are the budding designers in this industry
1: my message is, is, uh, depends on who's listening. If you are a person that's uh, looking to transition into UX design, my message is go for it. Um, it. It's a really nice industry to be in. I think it's an industry, industry that's still growing, Uh, Mm -hmm. With the caveat that for junior designers, it may be a little tricky to break into the industry. Many people are doing it. There aren't there aren't so many jobs for juniors. There are more more most jobs in the industry are for seniors. But I do see everyday successful transitions is definitely possible with the right kind of support, with the right kind of mindset, and by being resilient. And persistent, and having I don't know a mentor or having a good network, you can definitely transition into a UX design role and have a more meaningful job. This is one thing. And to all designers out there, I don't know, just reach out to me. I'd be happy to have design conversations anytime. I'm as I said, Instagram has brought me a lot of uh, yeah. a lot of new friends, and I'm still very open to making new friends. So if we want uh-huh. to chat with me, please do it. I do have a very loaded inbox on, uh, on UX goodies, but oh, I, will yes. try, <laughs> I will try to to answer to each message that I get and, and just make sure that I make new friends. Yeah.
0: That's really kind of you. So thank you so much, Ayana, for this. This has been really insightful and learning experience for me too. And I'm sure even our audience would love this. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for the invitation. And uh, thank you all for listening.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in. If you have liked today's episode, do comment your feedback and rate us on Apple Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe Sculpted, the design podcast on Epilogue website or wherever you get your podcasts from so that you get notified about our upcoming episodes. Also, check out our Instagram handle, Sculpted Podcast. I shall catch up with you on our next episode. Until then, take care and keep designing.